Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. Good evening. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you dream something and it is your house and it is your, uh, you know, it, it's a familiar world, but yet everything is different? Well, that's sort of, uh, that's me. My name's Chris Norris, and I am uh, the lead pastor of Harvest Point Fellowship. And uh, this is where we meet on Sunday mornings at 1030. And uh, now Anchor Church meets here at, on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. And uh, we love being able to share the space that God has given to us. And we've been in this building nearly eight years. But to be able to uh, share that, when Brandon and I were talking, uh, one of the things was like, you know, well, why not? We don't use our building, I mean, at a 52 weeks, probably 50 uh, weeks a year, we don't use our building on Sunday evenings. And that makes a great use. And we are blessed and uh, thrilled. And I hope that it is a model for other churches in our area to be able to partner together because our DNA is so similar in so many ways. But yet God has given us a niche that he's given you a niche and it works really well. So uh, we're grateful that Anchor is here at, uh, at Harvest Point and that we're able to use our building for um, for God's purposes. Well, uh, Brandon was sharing with me that we are in the book of Jonah, and I love the book of Jonah because Jonah is a, uh, and I'm going to start my time right there, Jonah is a real-life story where real-life things really happen. And it's not only a classroom for us to learn about God's heart, but we also learn a little bit about ourselves at the same time. So I want you to go ahead, if you have your Bible, turn into the book of Jonah. It's on page uh, 1324, if that'll help you. Uh, that's a joke. You can laugh. It is uh, Jonah is right after, if you're, if you're in the Old Testament, it's right after Obadiah, I have to look, and right before Micah. So it's back towards the back side of it. Uh, and he said that you were in uh, chapter 1 last week. We're going to look at chapter 2 this week, uh, and we want to go over it, and we want to just simply see what this book of the Bible says about God and what it also says about Jonah, but what it says about us. Jonah is not a myth. Some would tell you that Jonah is a myth. It's not a fishtail. It is real. Jesus actually referred to Jonah, the prophet, in the book of Matthew in chapter 12. He referred to Jonah. So if Jesus refers to him as a real-life person, uh, that's, that's most definitely good enough for me. But the, but the theme of the book of Jonah, as I've studied it, is to know and to do God's will and to glorify him. That's the whole purpose that we're here for, to know God and to enjoy him, to give glory to him forever and ever. But there's a second thing, and that is the mercy, the grace that we've just been singing of, of God for the nations of the world. Uh, I love the fact that we can send missionaries and we can go ourselves to the four corners of the globe for anybody in the world that God would send us, that we would be able to share the goodness, the grace of God. And that's what Jonah did in sharing the grace of God to Nineveh. But God's mercy and grace was not just extended to Nineveh, it was extended to Jonah. In this last chapter that you studied last week, uh, there were several things that God did. He spoke to a specific man for a specific reason. And I think that's an important thing for us to note today because that's something that God is still in the business of doing. He's still in the business of speaking to us for specific reasons. What did he say to Jonah? He said, arise, arise from where you are. 
And wherever Jonah was, he said, get up. And that's what he did. And then he said the next thing was, uh, leave your life of ease and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, and, and Brandon shared this with you, it's about 550 miles to the northeast. And at that time, it was the largest city in the world. It would be like going to, for us, it would be like going to New York City. And it was, a, it was a metropolitan area, and it was foreign to Jonah, and he didn't like those people. They persecuted, and some would even say that they had persecuted his family even. Uh, but he said to arise, go, and then cry out against it. Now, what was that about? To proclaim the judgment that God was giving to them so that they would have repentance. But what did Jonah do? Well, we left the chapter last week, and it says... Um, um, that Jonah, uh, uh, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three nights and three days. So Jonah was running. And what was he running from? He was running from God. He was running from God's call. And uh, uh, there, he was a curse to the sailors that were there on that ship. As long as he was on that ship, he was bad news. So they threw him overboard because Jonah told him, just throw me overboard. And he would rather die at that point, then submit to God's will. Have you ever been like that? I would rather die. Just throw me overboard. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to do what he says. I want to just go and I want to die. And then here comes this fish. And by the way, it's not a whale, as we've always been told. It might could have been a whale, but the Bible says that it was a great fish. And I believe personally that it was a prepared fish. Have you ever prepared fish? Well, you got to skin it and knew all that kind of stuff. Well, this was God's prepared fish. It was a special fish that was made for a special purpose, and that was to swallow up uh, Jonah. It was God's grace to seek out this disobedient prophet and not allow him to remain in rebellion. And that is, a, that is a big point for us to learn tonight. When we rebel against God and his principles, his purposes, his promises and his ways, he loves us so much that he pursues us and will go as far as he needs to to bring us back to him. So I want you to note in Jonah chapter 2 as we read this scripture, except for the first and the last verses, it's all Jonah's prayer to God while he was in the belly of this great fish. And that was kind of an unlikely place for a suicidal prophet. He said, throw me overboard. He thought he was gone. He was going to be tossed into the tumultuous sea. And he got low. Have you ever been low? I have. It's interesting. When you get alone with God, it's just you and him. There's no one else there. When we go as low as we think we can get... And this dude was in a fish belly down by the, uh, the moorings of the mountains, the very bottom of the sea. We learn several things about God and about us. And what, is the, what are those things? Our first one is this. Cry now or cry later. That's something that you can learn. I think my mama told me that maybe a time. Well, you can cry about it now or I'll give you a reason to cry. Has your mom ever done that? Uh, that that's just one of those things. I'll give you a reason to cry. Uh, cry now or cry later. Let's read the first two verses of this chapter. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, did he think he was dead? I, we don't know. But he knew that he was somewhere he had never been. And we see that Jonah, uh, we see that God's word to Jonah was, Arise, go, and cry out. 
God's word that he'd spoken to Jonah clearly is God's will. But God will do what God will do. Whenever you and whenever I choose to forego the plan of God that he speaks to us clearly, and it couldn't have been any clearer, I want you to know God's word still prevails. It doesn't, it doesn't fall. It, it lasts. When God does what God does, it gets done. When we choose to forego that plan, his will is still going to prevail. Jonah still cried out. You remember God had told him, arise, go and cry out. Jonah cried out, but it wasn't a cry of obedience. It was a cry uh, of uh, affliction. He cried out of his distress. That's what it says, out of my distress. But God did answer him. You know, there's an old song that I grew up, when I grew up in the 80s, uh, by uh, Blondie. It says, one way or another, I'm going to find you. I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you. You ever heard that song? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it's, it was fun then. It's still fun now. Uh, that's that's sort of way, the way God is with us sometimes. I'll find you. I, you're right here. I'm not far from you. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to find you. And Jonah cried out. God wasn't trying to get Jonah, though, like that's Blondie's song. But he was... He was bound and determined to show his grace, not only to Nineveh, but to Jonah. I wonder many times as I studied this passage this week, I wonder if this whole entire thing was for Nineveh or was it for Jonah? Now, God's so big and so great and so strong and so mighty and so good in his purposes and his ways that he most likely had both in mind, but he doesn't just think about Nineveh, he was also thinking about his servant. That's something, Brandon, that I feel as a pastor, that's a great thing. God doesn't just think about our church. He doesn't think about uh, uh, Christian ministry without thinking about those that he's called and those that he sent. He's in, we're important to him. We're just as important as the final task because he wants that relationship with all of us. Paul David Tripp says, there's nowhere you go that God isn't there. There's no location in your life that isn't ruled by him with wisdom and with grace. I find comfort in that. So when God chooses you and he speaks to you like he did to Jonah and you go with him, he doesn't give up on you even when you give up on you. There have been things in my life that I thought, oh my goodness gracious, I just screwed up big time. Why did I, why did I ever do this? But yet God, God knew that far before I ever did whatever. I love to say this because it's true, and sometimes people want to argue about it, but you think about it, and then we'll talk about it. You can't disappoint a sovereign God. Many times people will tell you, oh, don't disappoint God. You can't disappoint a God who is omniscient and all-knowing and all-powerful. It's impossible because he knows. And he still chose us anyway when he knew we would screw up in this area, in that area, at this point in our life and then. He knows those things and still pursues us even still today. God's grace is shown when we get alone with him. That grace is an undeserved merit because God is serious about about his love that he pursues his children and he's just waiting to release that mercy and that grace by faith that we look to him and we show in him. So when we run from God, God doesn't let us off the hook. And that's a gracious, good, good father. For Jonah, 
He kind of actually placed him on the hook. He was like a worm uh, on the hook in the, in the sea, and that fish bit, and he was prepared fish food for that prepared fish. And he ended up in that horrible place. Uh, when our kids were younger, um, and uh, my wife teaches uh, fifth grade, and one of the things that she t- taught her fifth graders and what we taught our kids was a phrase that really was a big deal in our home. It's this. What is obedience? Obedience is all the way, right away, with a happy heart. Do you remember that? All the way, right away, with a happy heart. That's obedience because sometimes I, I think, well, I'll do it. That's better than nothing. But obedience is all the way right away with a happy heart. You might want to use that with your kids. Why? Because it's important. But every time you use, use it, think about yourself. Obedience is all the way right away with a happy heart because we're delighted to serve the Lord. It changed how our kids saw obedience. It changed how we saw obedience if Jonah had only followed that. So what is our key for this, uh, this point here? When God's children won't follow him in obedience to his word, he will discipline us until we cry for his deliverance. That's someone who has relationship with God. When we go the other way, we head south. We say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. Which, by the way, is, uh, is not a great thing to say. Don't ever say, no, God. Uh, yeah, we say, yes, Lord, not no, God. When, when we do that, it is his duty, it is his desire to discipline us, to train us until we cry out for his deliverance. Job chapter 5 verse 17 says this, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. And after a quote in Hebrews chapter 12 that was quoting Proverbs 3 and 11 uh, 11 and 12, what we just read, it says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share, share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can we just pause there for a moment? Because, man, it sure does. But later, I love that, but later, it... Uh, It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the discipline, the chastising, the the crying out for deliverance of God, that trains us to follow hard after him. It saves us a lot of grief in later days. Cry now or cry later. By the way, have you ever asked this question, was Jonah saved? Arguably I would say yes. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8 says this, If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Jonah wasn't left without discipline. This whole thing was about God working in Jonah's life and, and calling after him. So I do believe that Jonah was saved. When we cry out to God, God hears 
and God answers. Just like it said there in that part, it says, uh, out of my distress, he answered me. God answered. He had relationship with Jonah. Adversity brings us to the point of crying out to God. I can cry now in obedience like Jonah was supposed to cry out to Nineveh, or I can cry later in deliverance, but I want you to know that God hears and God answers even in our rebellion, especially in our rebellion, because his whole point is relationship with us and drawing us closer. So I ask you, what kind of crying are you going to do? And when are you going to do it? Are you going to cry now or are you going to cry later? Point two, here's another thing. It's best to agree with God. That's something you could write in the front of your Bible, and it would always be true. It's best to agree with God. Verses three through nine, let's read them. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped, were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then he makes this uh, five-word phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord. That proclamation there is another indication, I believe, of Jonah being a saved individual because he knew the salvation of the Lord. You know, God is relentless in his pursuing of us. Sometimes it wears us down. But Jonah was reluctant as a prophet. So we have a relentless God and a reluctant prophet. And boy, what a, what a smash this is going to be right here. So what did this relentless God do in this passage? Well, God cast him down. Jonah saw God as the one who cast him into the sea, not the sailors who threw him overboard. Jonah had enough relationship with God that he knew exactly what was going on. He'd said no to God, and God had caused all of this to get his attention, and he knew that it was God who had done it. He knew that the waves and the billows and all of this that was going on was from the Lord. There's a prevailing principle here that we need to look at. We need to see uh, from this passage, in our heart of hearts, we know it is our sin that causes the difficulties many times around us. Now, there are things that others do. I don't want to, I'm not even going there. You know what I'm talking about. We know well enough in our heart of hearts that it is our sin, our running away from God's best for us that causes great difficulty in our lives. So if things are going to get, uh, are, are going to change for the better, the only thing that is left for us to do when we find ourselves in that place is to turn completely to the Lord. You know, we get what we got. We get what we pursue many times. The Bible says it like this. We reap what we sow. 
Just like Israel. Israel got the fruit of their rebellion. I'm leading our church to read through the, the Bible this year. We're, we've just finished Jeremiah. We're in, Ze- in Ezekiel right now. And God had such patience and long-suffering with Israel because they were, they were in great rebellion. The Bible says that if they had followed him, it even says that, that there would be no sickness among them. He desired a people. He desired that relationship with him, but they continued completely turned to other gods. They worshiped the Asherah poles on the high hill. They would worship their idols in the very place where God's presence was supposed to be. And God had had enough and he let the fruit of their ways, the fruit of the rebellion that they had against God, he let them pay the price of what they, what they had done. That's a, that's a tough thing. God cast him down and Jonah knew it. He reaped what he sowed. But God disciplined him also. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. I love to study his stuff. Uh, We respond to God's discipline in one of four ways. This is awesome. And uh, see where you fall in this continuum. Number one, we despise God's discipline and we fight against it. That may be you here tonight. Or you may, number two, you may get discouraged and faint. You can't hold up under it. Or number three, you resist that discipline and you invite even more discipline, which ultimately, the Bible says, can lead to uh, a death, a premature death. Or number four, which is really God's plan, you submit to the Father. And then you mature and you grow in your faith. And I would even add, you become useful for God's purposes in His kingdom. So that's what a relentless God did. He cast him down and then he disciplined him so that Jonah would cry out to him in relationship. Well, what did this, what did this reluctant prophet do? Well, first off, he forgot about God. It even says here in, um, in verse 7, if you look at that, he said, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So he had this idea that God was sitting in the temple. So he's thinking about the temple. And he said, I remembered, I remembered that you were there. And I started thinking about that. Even when God had spoken to him personally and given him distinct black and white instructions here. Clearly told him what to do. He had ignored God. But now he remembers. Have you ever done that? Have you ever known that you you knew that you knew that you knew what you needed to do, but you didn't want to do it, so you didn't? God is the last thought on your mind when that happens. But when things go south really quickly and things are not good, that's when all of a sudden, God, help! And we cry out to Him. And if He doesn't give us what we want when we need it, We get mad at God and say, why did you do this? Hmm, isn't that interesting? I've done that before and you probably have too. So Jonah had forgotten about God. Number two, he stopped praying to God. The first thing we do when we forget or when we ignore God is to stop talking to Him. Some of you may be there right now. You may be so mad at God because of situations and circumstances in your life that you're just like, hmm, nope. Not talking to you right now. And on the outside, maybe you volunteer and you love the kids and you serve and you do this. But between you and God personally and privately, mm, mm -mm, God, I ain't doing that. No more. You, You stop praying because you've wandered away from him. Jonah chapter 1 never mentions Jonah praying. 
It mentions the sailors, the pagan sailors, crying out to Jonah's God, but never Jonah. So he stopped praying to God. Number three, what did he do in his little path away from the Lord? He trusted in his own truth. That's one of my pet peeves. When we talk about your truth, if truth isn't truth, then it ain't, isn't truth. Truth is truth, and all truth is God's truth. And in verse 8, like the Ninevites, Jonah believed the lies of the idols that we make for ourselves. What were his idols? They may not have been the Baal or anything else because he was a good Hebrew, supposedly. But his idol was patriotism. He wanted Israel's safety more than he wanted Nineveh's salvation. Hmm. Why? Well, the Ninevites were foreign people and they were persecuting. So it would be sort of like, uh, and, and Brandon shared this last week, it would be sort of like uh, a Jewish person that was sent to Berlin in the, the World War II era to go and proclaim God's goodness, grace, and mercy to them. He would be like, I ain't going, I ain't doing that. That's not going to happen. And we would be the same way to those that were mortal enemies that were out to kill us and our family and harm us in ways that were uh, 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 hurtful. So Jonah's idol was patriotism. He wanted Israel's safety more than Nineveh's salvation. It was self-ism, all the isms here. If Nineveh had turned and God relented, Jonah was going to be thought of as, as a false prophet. It wouldn't have been good. It was peer pressure for him. He, he was thinking about himself. So Jonah said, I'm going to do it my way, and that got him to the very lowest low. He had forsaken God's mercy, but he was just starting to learn. What did he do next? He knew enough in all of this debacle to quote Scripture and look to God. That's a good point. That's a good thing that he did. His training, his background, and his knowledge is going to all kick in. And this, this little speech that Jonah gives so eloquently here in the fish's belly is going to parallel in lots of scriptures. In Psalm chapter 3, Psalm chapter 5, Psalm chapter 18, Psalm chapter 31, Psalm 42, 69, 71, 116, and Psalm 120. All of those are going to cry out in the scriptures. And Jonah knew all of this. He knew that God that he was crying out to. And he knew that God was not going to let him go, so he had to do something, and he just acquiesced. I've done that in my life. He was saved out of a storm, folks, by a fish. That's crazy. That's why we think that this is such a fishtail. It's, it's a myth. It couldn't have happened. It's unlikely. But God, he will go to the deepest depths to reach his children. But as long as you continue on your way, you will forsake his mercy. Jonah wanted to straddle the fence here. He wanted one side on, I want to have my way, but I know enough about God to see if I'll, I'll just say, okay, all right. But in his heart of hearts, he wasn't there at all. So I asked this question, did Jonah repent or did Jonah relent? One letter difference, but a huge, huge difference in the strategy of our hearts. I don't believe that Jonah repented. Some, some do here. He relented enough to be rescued. Why? He quoted scripture, but he never ever mentions his sin. He admitted his sin before the sailors, but he never admitted before God. He knew, he felt bad, he felt wrong, and he cried, but he didn't confess his sin in agreement 
with God. In fact, he blames God for his plight. There's lots of blamers in Scripture, lots of blamers today in our world. And he avoids the issue of sin by making promises to God. We see that all the time, don't we? God, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I'll never do that again. I'll never do this again. I'll quit. God, I promise I will. How long does that last? Huh? About a week or less? It doesn't last. Why? Well, we're just acquiescing. We're avoiding the issue of our sin and dealing with it so that we make a promise to God that we probably know that we won't keep it. Guess what? He knows that also. Adrian Rogers says this, Repentance doesn't require that we make promises to God. Quite the contrary, God doesn't want us to put confidence in what we can do in our flesh. He wants us to set our sights on Him alone and in what He can do through us. So what is repentance? Repentance is to turn from sin to God, not just doing the right thing but being right with God. There's only one way for that to happen. That's through the blood of Jesus Christ, His sinless sacrifice, the Savior that came into the world, the Messiah. That is the only way that we can turn to God, not just doing something right. That's why our good works are never enough to make us right with God. But being right with God, and that comes from the sacrifice of His Son and the filling of His Holy Spirit. So now we have the opportunity to agree with God and really, truly mean it. Jonah had a flawed, incomplete view of obedience. He was clinging to what he thought would carry weight with God, but he was looking towards the temple, doing what Solomon had said in his dedication prayer, thinking, well, surely this will work because that's, you know, that's what I've been taught. Here's what uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 says, uh, and, uh, that Solomon prayed. If there's a famine in the land, if there's a pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, or if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart, stretching out his hands toward his house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. I'm sure that Jonah would have known that prayer. It was probably a famous speech that all of them knew. So he, he referred back to his training, and he did it. He did the right thing. He said the right words. But, it did it, but did it change his heart? Jonah did confess something right here. And those are those five words I said at the very end in verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. He may not have gotten a lot of this other stuff right, but he got something right. Salvation is of the Lord. And that's enough for God to be able to work. Why? Because it is an agreement with him. In other words, what he was saying was, get me out of here and I'll do anything you say. He cried out for mercy. Then he gave thanksgiving because he learned he could not escape God's plan. Philippians 1, 6 says, And I am sure of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is still working on you. He's still working on me. No matter where we go and what we do, when we truly are his child and we truly love him, he is going to continue to work upon us, and it's best to agree with God. 
Here's our key. Even when our motives for surrender are not pure, God sees our future and he works his plan in us, through us, and for us. Man, that's worth writing down and shouting right there about. When my methodology of of surrender is not even pure, and I'm just even still self-serving, God still sees me in my sin. He still sees the great glorious future that he has for me, and he works his plan in my life so that I will not only draw nearer to him, but I'll be a blessing unto the world. He never gives up on his children. And that is uh, absolutely amazing. One of my most favorite things about the God that we're able to serve. He never gives up on us. Our third point and our last one tonight, and it's a whole lot shorter than all the other ones. So here we go. Despite the rebellion still in us, God works in grace. Would you say that word with me? Grace. Unmerited favor. You can't do anything. You can't do enough. He still works in grace, despite the rebellion that's still in me. I trusted Christ when I was 10 years old, and I'll never forget, it was a Sunday night service, regular, normal Sunday night service, and I sat actually on the second row, and I think I was about 10 years old, and um, at the very end of the message, just a regular Sunday night service, I knew that the Lord had just like picked me up and moved me down the aisle to tell the pastor I've trusted Christ in my heart. I, it was kind of late for a kid who had grown up in church and was a Bible drill scholar and did all the things that I needed to do. But I'll never forget that night because God changed the trajectory, the, 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 the forward motion of my life. And I knew it then. That's why I didn't, I didn't trust Christ earlier because I thought if I do this, it's, it's really real and I will do it forever. And I've never doubted that. And, and I, that's a gift, I think, in some ways because many times people do. But as I've lived life, I've realized that even though Christ dealt with my sin that night and not only covered my sin, but he cleansed me, the Bible says, from all unrighteousness in this New Testament age. We're not covering our sin. God's not covering our sin in Jesus' blood. He covered it so he could cleanse it and wipe it away. Even though God did that, I still have to deal with those things in my life. The only thing that changed is when I was lost in my sin, I couldn't not sin. But now, because of Christ's blood, I don't have to sin. I still will when I choose my own way, but I have the power of the Spirit within me now that I can say, I don't have to do that. That's the difference. That rebellion is still in me because the seed of Adam is still there, even though I've been washed and born again. In verse 10, it says this, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Kids love that verse. They think it's so gross, you know, this fish vomit. But it's true. In this fish vomit, God still had a plan. He's like, all right. Well, we're back, we're back on land again now, Jonah. Our God delivered Jonah when he made that confession of those five words. Salvation is of the Lord. But Jonah was not where he needed to be. Why? It's not what God called him to be. God's going to do what God's going to do. We don't thwart 
the plan of God, no matter how hard we run. We can cry now or cry later. Jonah wasn't where he needed to be. Look at verse 1. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And then at the end of this chapter, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. We're talking about a discourse here, a conversation between an almighty creator God and one of his creatures that he so chose to use in a great and a grand way. Here's our key point from this, this one. God meets us right where we are to take us to where we will be. You say, well, duh, that's silly. God meets us right where we are to take us to where we will be. And that is way more than I ever could think for myself. Exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or think, Paul says to the church at, at Ephesus. That's one of our favorite verses at Harvest Point. Uh, why? Because we've seen that happen. We could not have dreamed what God would do with our obedience. Did he call us to plant a church in this area? Yes, almost 10 years ago. Did he call uh, uh, Brandon and this team an anchor church to plant here a little over a year ago? Yes. I could ask you, Brandon, and I have because I, so I know what you're going to answer. When you started and you met with me like, what, three years ago? And you said, I'm thinking about coming to Evans. Could you have imagined what's happened? No. You just said yes to God. We just said yes to God. We don't know what God knows and the plans that he has for me. Not to harm us, but to give us a future and a hope. God meets us where we are to take us where we will be. He won't let us stay where we think we ought to stay. I'm... Jonah. And so are you. And we play these silly little games all the time. So I got, I got four words right here. Stop playing games. Y'all. Stop playing games. What would your life look like? By looking at this lesson of Jonah in the belly of a great fish at the bottom of the sea, what would your life look like if you took the very things that God himself had already spoken to you and you said, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. What would your life look like? What would you escape? It doesn't mean you won't have harm. You won't have things happen. It, 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 we live in a broken, fallen world. And we're broken, fallen people. But what would your life look like as far as blessing and righteousness and usefulness for the kingdom, purpose for God, joy in your heart? What would your life look like? Why won't we do it? We cling to the faded resemblance of hope. When hope is offered to us freely. Hebrews 3 says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's God's promise. You only get the rest when you are obedient. 
Other than that, you get this. You get the panic. You get the anxiety. You get all those other things. But when we rest in the Lord and wait patiently in Him, He uses us exceedingly abundant. Abundant beyond, abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. Jonah 2 tells us about Jonah. But even more so, it tells us about God. And that's how I relate to the story. It tells us who he is, what he does, and how we in 2023 can respond to him in obedience. So in his grace, what, it, uh, what if this story, like I said at the first, was more about God pursuing Jonah than it even was the Ninevites? More about God working in his life. And Nineveh was just this byproduct of an obedience of God working in his children. What's God calling you to do right now? I believe with all of my heart, and I say this Sunday after Sunday, God just put his holy righteous finger on a spot in your life that you know that you know that you know. You've been withholding it from him, and you're running don't run so far that God has to go after you like he did Jonah. Where is it? What's the spot? I give you those four words. Stop playing games, y'all. When God gets you alone with him, what will be your response? Father, right now, I thank you for the opportunity to stand and to proclaim the truth of your word. It's written, it's a, it's a scarlet thread that is woven throughout all scripture. And God, I thank you that you pursue us, that you track us down. You're the hound of heaven and you don't let us go. And you want relationship with us. You want the very best for us. Lord, and in our stubborn, uh, this, our stubbornness, we run the other way when we know full well that when we run to you, that joy comes in the morning. Father, I pray right now for every person under the sound of my voice, in this room, in another part of the building, listening, uh, however, in recording, whatever. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your Holy Spirit if we're your child. If we're not your child, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would knock an, on, our, on the door of our heart, that we would uh, open it up and let you come in and have relationship with us. Lord, that's what you desire. More than the outcome, more than the Nineveh, you want your children to know you and to glorify you forever in obedience. I pray that, Father, for us right now. Lord, have your way even at this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at anchorchurchcsra.com.